Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Well, the Dow 20,000 party is going to have to wait, at least for another day. The Dow was down a little bit today, 23 points, 19,918. So still not at that 20,000 milestone. Uh, the uh, broader market, I think, was a bit weaker than the Dow. Although the markets continue to shrug off very weak economic news that came out throughout the day. We got bombarded with all sorts of negative uh, pieces of news that ordinarily, maybe before the election of uh, Donald Trump, the news would have weighed on the markets. Certainly it would have weighed on the currency markets. The dollar would have been very weak and gold uh, would have had a big rally. Instead, gold was down a little bit and the dollar rose a little bit despite very, very weak economic data that I am going to get to. But, you know, I want to start off by focusing on the stock market and the optimism there, which is really uh, quite ridiculous and unfounded. You know, part of the, the reason for the rally, though, is a lack of selling, right? You have a lot of people mindless, mindlessly buying the markets, but you don't have a lot of selling. And one of the reasons is that people would rather sell in January than in December. Pretty obvious. One of the reasons that so many people are enthusiastic now about Trump is because he's going to cut taxes. And so if you have a gain in the stock market, why realize that gain now, right, in the waning trading days of 2016? Because if you, if you sell now, not only do you have to get your check into the IRS by April of next year, but you've got to pay the current tax rate. If you just wait until the first week of January, now you don't have to send your taxes in until a year from April. You don't have to mail the check in until 2018. So you have all that time to use the money. Plus, the tax rates may be a lot lower. That is the hope that taxes will go down under Trump. 
So why sell now? And I think a lot of people are being given that advice. Hey, don't sell now. Wait till January. So who knows? This market could ring in the new year with another major sell-off, just like it rang in this new year. You know, what I would do if I was sitting on a bunch of profits that I didn't want to take until next uh, year, I would maybe sell some S&P futures right now to kind of lock in these prices in case there is a rush to get out in January. I mean, why not do that? That doesn't impact your 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 profits. Worst case, the market goes down and now you have a gain on the S&P. And well, you can take that gain next year as well. Um, but you can offset the rush in case everybody else wants to sell at the same time. And a lot of the profits that you are trying to harvest uh, end up disappearing into uh, into thin air with the market. But Apart from that, I mean, you do have all this optimism out there about the the markets and the economy because of Trump. And again, I've said this many times. What's so crazy to me is that the people who are most optimistic about the markets are the same people that were very pessimistic about what would happen if Trump won. And now he did win. And now they're, you know, all they can see is is blue skies as far as the eye can see. You know, there's this one guy I read this uh, report from an analyst over at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And this guy, forget about talking about Reagan. This guy is talking about Eisenhower years, the 1950s. And he's going back to the bull market of the 1950s that, you know, followed the end of the Second World War. And really, the markets were pretty cheap because you had the Great Depression, right? Then you had the Second World War. And then, you know, we ended the war and we had the Eisenhower years. But during those years... The guy says, hey, interest rates rose the entire period, uh, and yet the stock market was up 450%. So why don't we just do the same thing now? I mean, what a moron this guy's got to be. Does he not know the difference between a cheap market rallying? And, of course, we had GDP growth in the 1950s. We had years of 5%, 6%, 7%. I mean, we're not even going to get close to that. I mean, we're probably going to be mired in recession Uh, for much of the next 10 years. But also, think about America in 1950. I mean, we were the most powerful industrial economy in the world. I mean, the other industrial economies in Germany and Japan, I mean, were littered beneath a a mountain of ashes, right? I mean, they were trying to come come up from the destruction of the Second World War. But we were a manufacturing superhouse, right? We were the world's biggest exporter of manufactured goods. We had huge trade surpluses. We were the world's wealthiest creditor nation. Everybody owed us money. Americans were living large. Uh, we were wealthy. We had lots of savings. We had no debt, right? I mean, people, I mean, we were a real wealthy, powerful country with a great balance sheet. Where are we today? We are a shadow of our former selves. We're the world's biggest debtor nation. We have huge trade deficits. We've decimated our industrial base. We've got this phony levered up service sector uh, economy. And how can somebody believe that interest rates could rise to 6% and we're going to be able to withstand that with all of the debt that we have now? We were earning interest income in the 1950s. So higher interest rates helped most Americans because they were earning interest. Today, it would decimate Americans because we're paying interest. You know, everybody, even retirees are still in debt nowadays. I mean, back in the 1950s, if you were retired, you owned your home free and clear. You burned your mortgage. 
Now, I was just reading these articles about retirees having their Social Security checks uh, garnered for unpaid student loans. I mean, you got people in their 60s that still haven't paid off their student loans that they accumulated in their 20s, or maybe they're their kids' student loans that they that they co-signed on. But Americans are broke. Even if you own a home, you don't own it. The bank owns it. I mean, people are still on. People in their 60s have refinanced their mortgages so many times they still have 30 years left. They're not going to live long enough to repay those mortgages. So they have no equity. They got credit card debt. Uh, they got an auto debt. But the debt is so big, how anybody could believe with a straight face that interest rates can rise that dramatically. And hey, it's not even going to be a problem because we're going to party. Uh, like it's the 1950s. But but this is the nonsense that's going on. This is how people are thinking. And this is what has been driving this, this stock market rally. You know, I talked about before how all this comparisons to Ronald Reagan is a bunch of nonsense. You know, and it is a bunch of nonsense. You know, the, the, the more valid comparison is Bush 43, right? Bush followed Clinton. This is, again, it's almost exactly what's happening with Trump, because Clinton was a two-term uh, Democrat, and the Fed inflated a bubble that really uh, blew up or inflated during the second term of Clinton. We had a stock market bubble. We had a, a dollar bubble. Gold was you know, at record lows. And everybody thought America was the only game in town, because the second half of the uh, uh, 90s, uh, Clinton's second term, it was one crisis after another, the Asian economic meltdown, the Russian debt crisis. Um, you know, people were worried about uh, the rest of the world, and America was the only safe haven. So that was one of the reasons that we had all this capital flows going into the U.S., because people were trying to protect themselves from the concerns they had about Europe and Asia and South America. And, of course, they wanted to get in on the dot-com bubble. And, and so we had that, and we had all this optimism. Remember, we had surpluses. We were going to pay off the national debt. The idiots back then were actually worrying what we were going to do when the national debt was fully repaid because we'd have a shortage of treasuries, right? This is the kind of problems that people were actually worried about, running out of treasuries. I mean, look at us now. We're $20 trillion in debt. Is anybody worried about a shortage of U.S. Treasury bonds? I mean, we got more bonds than we know what to do with. I mean, obviously, look what's happening now as people are just starting to unload uh, their hoard of treasuries. And this is just the beginning, right? The air is just coming out of this bond market bubble. But the comparisons between Trump and Bush, very similar. I mean, first of all, they both are following a two-term Democrat. They both lost the popular vote. They're both walking into a bubble, right? Uh, even Trump said it was a big, fat, ugly bubble. Well, Bush inherited a big, fat, ugly bubble from a Clinton. And this fat, big, fat, ugly bubble is bigger and fatter and uglier than any of them. And now uh, Trump is going to have to deal with it. Now, the way Bush was able to deal with the bursting of the dot-com bubble or stock market bubble was the Fed slashed interest rates down to 1% from like 6%, right, a 500 basis point cut, and inflated a big, fat, ugly bubble in the real estate market, which was actually bigger and fatter and uglier than the bubble we had in the stock market. And as a result of that, Americans were able to buy houses and buy cars to the point that the recession that we had in 01, 02 timeframe was the shallowest recession we've ever had. 
And then by the time Bush was up for re-election, he was able to win a second term because the Fed had postponed the consequences to 2008 when we had the financial crisis. And of course, that blew up. And that's why uh, Obama became president. That's why McCain didn't have a chance because it was clear that the problem was Bush's fault by then. And so people wanted wanted to change. And so they voted uh, for Obama. That's not going to happen this time. The bubble that Trump is inheriting is so big that when it pops early in his first term, there's nothing the Fed could do about it. They can't inflate another housing bubble. They can't inflate another uh, auto bubble. And we already have an auto bubble that's about to pop. There's nothing they can do. They can't slash interest rates because they're only at a half a percent. So where are they going to go? I mean, how negative can they go? All they can do is massive quantitative easing, helicopter money. And what is this going to do? Is this going to postpone the pain until after the 2020 election? Not a chance. The pain is going to be excruciating. It's going to be massive stagflation. And so if you want to be a realist about it, what's very likely to happen is that Trump is going to get blamed for this collapse, especially if it doesn't happen for a year. Right. And in the interim, we get some tax cuts and some regulatory reform so that when it hits the fan, everybody can blame it on the tax cuts and the deregulation the way they did about the financial crisis under Bush. They can say, you see what happens? We went back to the policies of Bush and we're right back in this gigantic hole. The real risk is that this blows up on Trump and Trump gets blamed and, you know, the free market gets blamed and he's a one termer. Right. And who do we get to replace him? Maybe Bernie Sanders, maybe somebody even further to the left, because now we're going to get another populist wave. Only this time, it's not going to be from the right. It's going to be from the left because the right will have been fully discredited. And then we end up with a real socialist president in 2020. And we have a dollar crisis and a sovereign debt crisis. So the people who are getting all excited about how great this is going to be once we get to the Trump promised land, right, of economic nirvana, had better actually look at their history. And of course, the people who are so hopeful right now, and you know, I read that optimism, people are the most optimistic they've been according to these surveys ever, ever. And what that really shows you is how bad things have been for the past eight years, that people are now so optimistic. You know, Michelle Obama said, you know, we have no hope now. (laughs) She's completely wrong. We have more hope than ever. Americans are very hopeful that Trump is going to deliver on his promises to make America great again. We are very hopeful people and we're a very optimistic people, but we're going to be a very disappointed people because all of this optimism and hope is unfounded, unfortunately, because if we're actually going to make America great again, it's going to have to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And we're going to have to do a lot of things that nobody wants to do and that nobody is talking about doing, including Trump or anybody in his administration. But if you go back and look at the history of what happened when um, Bush was first elected to replace Clinton, people were optimistic. I mean, people thought the good times were going to keep rolling, right? The the roaring 1990s were going to continue into the new millennium. Everybody was excited. I mean, the stock market was up a lot under under Clinton, but they were like, wow, it's really going to go up under Bush, because now we're going to have tax cuts and we're going to have deregulation and all this great stuff is going to happen. 
And so, you know, the party's going to continue. And of course, it came to an abrupt end. The U.S. stock market was down, down during the Bush term. In fact, the S&P was off 27%, I think, from inauguration to the time he left office. And even before the 08 financial crisis, the highest the stock market had gotten was a gain of like 17% over seven years before it collapsed, right? So it's not like the market was doing well even before it, it fell out of bed in the second half of 2008. Where did investors make money? They made money in foreign stocks, right? Everybody was so negative on the foreign stock markets at when, when, when Bush was elected, just like they're negative now. Yet the, uh, the developed markets were up about 80% uh, at, before the collapse, and the emerging markets were up about 300%. And even after the collapse, when the, uh, you know, the emerging markets were still up 80% at the end of uh, the Bush term, whereas they said the S&P was down closer to 30%. So people made money in foreign stocks, but they made the most money in commodities. They made money in gold. Gold was under 300 when uh, Bush was sworn in, it was 900 when he left, and it hit 1,000 during his final year in office. I mean, this was an all-time record high. Look what happened to the price of oil. I mean, it went way up. Then it dropped in the financial crisis, but oil went up. Other commodities went up. So the exact opposite of what everybody expected to happen during the Bush years happened. The same thing is going to happen during the Trump years, unfortunately. Investors are completely wrong about what they think is going to happen. It's going to be a repeat of the 2000s of the Bush term, except much worse because we're in much worse economic shape than we were when Bush took office. And the Fed doesn't have a housing bubble up its sleeve to postpone the pain, right? We're all out of bubbles. This is it. All we've got is massive money printing, massive inflation. And when we have to go back to that well, when we have to go back to QE and take back those rate hikes, this thing is going to fall apart very, very quickly. And people should be nervous about that. And people should be positioning their portfolios. Now, I hope that Trump does the right thing after the crisis hits, even though it might mean that he doesn't get reelected. And maybe he'll do the right thing. I don't know. Right. Again, I've always said that. And the only reason I thought it made sense to have Trump in there was because he had a better chance of doing the right thing than Clinton, who had no chance of doing the right thing. But Electing Trump doesn't stop the collapse. It's going to happen. He only gives us a better shot of doing the right thing in its aftermath. But even that's not clear. And it is still possible that he paves the way for a complete move to the left, like I said, with Bernie Sanders or somebody as bad or maybe even worse, if that's possible, than him. And um, and so, you know, instead of a lot less government like everybody thinks. We could end up with a lot more government, much higher taxes, even more regulation when when Trump leaves office. And I'm not even sure how much deregulation we're actually going to get while he's in office, because, you know, it's easy to talk about cutting regulations and cutting spending to the extent that you're going to do it. But it's a much different thing to do it when you have all the political constraints and the Republicans don't actually have a track record that would inspire confidence because every time they've gotten control of government in the past, they've expanded it, right? They've used their opportunity to reward uh, their constituents with more government largess. So they never actually cut anything. Government just grows. They may grow different parts of government uh, than maybe what Democrats would, but they grow the government, they grow the deficits, and that is what's going to happen. And contrary to what Trump is promising, 
Not only are the budget deficits going to rise, the trade deficits that Trump was criticizing, the trade deficits are going to rise as well. Let's get to all that economic data that came out today that, again, the markets looked beyond it. They didn't care because they're looking, you know, beneath the valley over the hill to the promised land of uh, Trumponomics where everything is great, right? But everything is not great in the real world that we're living in today. First, we got durable goods that came out for November, and they were bad. They were supposed to be bad, and they were worse, right? We got a drop of 4.6% versus estimates of a drop of 4%, so the number was worse than expected. One of the worst pieces of data was the uh, weekly uh, unemployment claims, which were supposed to hold kind of steady at 256,000. Instead, they jumped by 21,000 to 275,000. That is the highest total in six months. And again, I think we're very close to a major turn in the job picture where we start to lose a lot of jobs and the unemployment rate really starts to rise, you know, just as the Fed is promising, uh, what, three rate hikes uh, that I I don't think there's much of a chance it'll actually deliver uh, in 2017. Also, the Chicago Fed National Activity Index had a very weak number. I think it was the weakest in three or four months. Um prior month was down 0.05, this month down 0.27 on that index. The um, corporate profits numbers for the third quarter, you know, they were revised down from the original estimate was an increase of 5.2% year over year. That got revised down to an increase of 4.3%. So, hey, that was bad news, right? The, the increase wasn't as big as they first thought, but no one seemed, no one seemed to care about that. Leading economic indicators, they were also below estimates. They were supposed to come out at a plus 0.2, and instead they came out flat. Uh, So disappointing leading economic indicators, but a really bad number that normally would have, you know, sent the dollar tanking and gold soaring was a disappointing numbers for the November personal income and spending. Personal income was supposed to be up 03 after being up 0.6 in the prior month, well, they revised the prior month's gain to up 0.5, but the November month was flat, zero, no gain. So uh, very, very disappointing. And the spending number was only up 0.3 as opposed to 0.2. Now, they did revise the prior spending up from 0.3 to 0.4, but that eviscerated the savings rate because now we have, you know, uh, spending income flat and spending up, not as much as expected, but up. So savings is going down. Look, this is a weak economy where income is not growing and the consumer is having to dip into his already shallow pool of savings in order to keep on spending. So we are rapidly decelerating. I mean, yes, people are very hopeful that this this bleak situation is going to turn around. But how? What can Trump possibly do to turn this around? There is nothing that he's going to do that's going to turn it around. And even if we get some tax cuts, it's going to take a while for them to kick in. But meanwhile, interest rates have already risen. So that's already going to take a bite out of people's pockets. And, you know, to the extent we got hikes going on and the minimum wage that are going to hit uh, in January, more, you know, more increases there. Uh, that might benefit some, but it will hurt others. But I think pressure will continue to build on businesses to raise prices. And so that's going to continue to take a bigger bite out of people's diminished paychecks. 
And to the extent that we get these tax cuts or even some spending increases and the deficits go up, you know, this this is not a net positive. Look, the tax cuts and spending hikes under Bush didn't stop uh, those problems. I mean, the only reason that we had the recovery that we did was because of the Fed and the new housing bubble. That ain't going to happen this time. And, you know, the fact that we had that recession so early in the Bush term that it was the, you know, such a shallow recession, the um, the recovery that we had, at least to the extent that it delivered gains to the average American, you know, was much better on paper than the recovery that we had under under Obama, because the housing bubble at least delivered some phony wealth to a lot of Americans. I mean, this uh, bubble under Obama, the only phony wealth was delivered to the 1%. The vast majority of people didn't even get to enjoy uh, the illusion that their circumstances were improving, right? They knew their circumstances were weakening. That's exactly why uh, Trump won. You know, by the time we had the 08 financial crisis, people were worried. They knew there was a problem, and that's one of the reasons that they voted for Obama was they wanted change and they were hopeful. Well, now they know there's a problem, and that's why they voted uh, for for Bush. And now, after such horrible years under Obama, people are even more hopeful now than they were then. Uh, they really are expecting that finally they're going to get the positive change that they've been waiting for, that some people voted for when they voted for uh, Obama, but were disappointed. And now uh, they, they they think they're going to get what they wanted in Trump. But it shows you that, you know, hope springs eternal. And we are a very hopeful and optimistic uh, nation. I just wish that there was real reasons to be optimistic. Unfortunately, if you take a rational look at what's actually happening, there is no reason for this optimism, I'm at least in the short run. I mean, I can be optimistic about the very long term, meaning that, you know, we, you know, we, we go through this crisis and we, we stare into the abyss and we, we learn the error of our ways, you know, like the, the drug addict hitting rock bottom. You know, he's lost his job. His wife has left him. He, they, she took the kids. He's homeless. And he realizes, OK, I better I better change. I better, you know, I better, you know, clean up my act and try to rebuild my life and maybe get my job back and get my family back. Right. So I can be hopeful that when we get to that point that we eventually do the right thing. But I'm not going to be so ridiculously Pollyannic about it that I think we're going to skip over that process, that we're just going to miraculously get to that, you know, to that promised land without having to go through, uh, you know, the rest of it. We're going to. And so, unfortunately, again, everybody's got it wrong. And how much longer can this go on? How much longer can this uh, Trump honeymoon last uh, before reality comes clashing in? It's anybody's guess. You know, it could come quick or it could drag on for months. I have no way of knowing that, but I am 100% confident that I'm right. And I think as much money as we made by being early for the the Bush years, because believe me, the last few years of Clinton were painful for me, were painful for my clients while the bubble was you know, going and we weren't making any money. We were losing on paper as everybody else was getting rich on paper. But eventually we had a huge payday. And, of course, we had a huge payday for people who shorted the subprime market in 07. It was tough for a couple of years 
while all the idiots thought they were making a bunch of money in subprime, but then the bottom dropped out of the market. This is another situation where the masses have got it wrong. In fact, they've got the exact same thing wrong. They're making the exact same mistakes, and it's the same people making them. They never learn from them. Uh, but you know, I am emboldened by the successes of the past and having not been surprised by these events, but having been vindicated by them because they were in line with my forecasts I think because we had to wait that much longer to be paid, we're going to be paid a lot more than we would have been paid had it happened earlier. Because during the interim, when we've delayed the day of reckoning, we've exacerbated all the problems. They're bigger. And now the correction is going to be bigger. And I think the reward for being right is going to be bigger because the decline in the dollar is going to be bigger. The rise in gold is going to be bigger. And the divergence between the U.S. market and some of these key foreign markets that I like is going to be bigger, much bigger than what happened during the Bush era. And it's not going to end with a financial crisis that causes people to run back to the dollar and out of gold. But I think it's going to end with a currency crisis and a a sovereign debt crisis that has people fleeing the dollar and stampeding into gold. Anyway, I want to uh, take a moment to wish all of the listeners to my podcasts a very, very Merry Christmas and a, and a Happy Hanukkah. I'll probably do another one of these before the New Year, so I can wish you Happy New Year later. And again, I apologize for my voice. I still can't shake this laryngitis or whatever I've got. And that's why I'm not doing as many podcasts as I'd like, because it's not easy to talk. But I had a lot to say, so I wanted to make sure to say something Uh, before the Christmas holiday. So again, thanks everybody for listening and uh, stay tuned for more uh, podcasts on the Peter Schiff Show. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. 
Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.